Well, I think that's the fourth time I've seen that video, and I still get teary-eyed, especially when the little girl lays that, uh, those flowers on a green. You know, freedom is not free. There's always a cost and will always be a cost for freedom. Uh, as Brian said, Jeff is away, so I have the privilege of, uh, of bringing you God's Word. Excited about that. Excited about what God may have for us today. I uh, just want to share with you, uh, we had a group that returned, just returned uh, this weekend from down in Mullins and Dillon, lower part of the state, toward the beach, um, and had the freedom, freedom to go down there and tell people about the hope of Christ. And they had an incredible week, uh, got these numbers uh, last night. They had uh, over, I think, 323 children who registered for the camps, is the number I was told, and the greatest number of all was 32 salvations in Jesus Christ. I think that deserves a round of applause. I know I see Jeremy right there. I know Jeremy was part of that team. And uh, I understand 28 campers and four volunteers uh, made up those 32 salvations. And we just rejoice, rejoice in what, uh, what the Lord has done there. And look forward to hearing what he's done, uh, what he would do in uh, Alaska as we have a team uh, that's up there. Well, Tuesday we celebrate our 241st Independence Day. And the fourth is the time when we stop and just recognize uh, and celebrate our freedom. Freedom we have in this great country. And we remember all those, as you saw on that video, who fought so that we might have freedom. They fought to protect our freedom. And many paid the ultimate price for our freedom. And I always, when I, July 4th rolls around, I always think about those who've lost loved ones. Many men and women paid the ultimate price in dying uh, in, in these wars to, to give us this freedom. And, and I'm reminded of my grandfather, uh, a grandfather I never knew, a, grand, a father that my mother never knew. She was just a, a mere child, but uh, my grandfather died in Normandy in World War II. And so uh, I know there's a cost of freedom. I, I grew up without a grandfather. There's, there's a cost of freedom, and freedom is never free. So it's a time that we celebrate. It's a time that we also reflect and think about all the th- those who have gone before us. And as I was thinking about this freedom that we have in America, I, a couple of quotes I ran across that I really liked. I, I don't know who this Elmer Davis is, but he's, he hit the nail on the head. He said, the, this nation, this nation of the United States will remain the land of the free so long is this the home of the brave. And I'm so thankful for those brave men who continue to go and put themselves in harm's way for our freedom because uh, freedom is never free and I'm thankful for those who go to protect our freedom. And I love what John Quincy Adams said and he, he hit the nail on the head too. He said, you will never know how much it has cost my generation to preserve your freedom. And as I think about that quote, I think it rolls all throughout our history. Because young people today, they don't realize the cost that the generation before them paid in Iraq and Afghanistan. And my generation sometimes don't realize the cost that the generation before them paid in the jungles of Vietnam. And on and on it goes. So freedom is always a cost. And sometimes... As John Quincy Adams says, we never really understand and know how much it cost us. cost this um, country to preserve the freedom that it has. And as I was thinking about the war of freedom, and that's what I, my sermon is entitled, 
uh, as we look at, start off looking at war. I, I just, from my own curiosity, wanted to know. And so I went online and I got this information from the Department of Defense and the Department of Veteran Affairs. So if you have any issues with that, I'm sorry. This is, this is where I got my information from. But as I think about this cost for freedom and this war for freedom, what does it cost us? Revolutionary War, 4,400 men died. Now, this is not those who were injured. These are reported deaths. 4,400 died to protect uh, our freedom, to give us the independence of the country that we have. Civil War, of course, both sides there were Americans. Almost half a million died in the Civil War. World War I, 116,000 men died to protect our freedom. World War II, 405,398, and one of those is my grandfather, died to protect the freedom that you have in this great country. The Korean War, 52,000. The Vietnam War, 90,000 died in the protection of our freedom. The Persian Gulf War, 1,500. And the global war on terrorism, almost 7,000 have died to protect our freedom. So there's a cost for freedom. This war for freedom that's been going on in our country, there's the cost. But this morning, I, I want to talk to you about another war that's not on this list. I want to talk to you about another war for freedom that was fought. It's been ongoing for many thousands and thousands of years. The battle between good and evil, the battle between God and Satan for this war for freedom. Satan has always been on the attack to stop the things of God, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus, to keep people lost in their sins. And this war for freedom has been going on, as I said, for thousands and thousands of years. And even though Satan knows that he will spend eternity in a lake of fire and sulfur and be tormented day and night, as it says in Revelation, he still battles. He battles to ruin the lives of people and he battles to destroy the Christian testimonies that we have. So he can't do anything about your eternity. That was secured by Jesus Christ on the cross. But he can do anything he can to destroy your effectiveness for the kingdom of God. And that's what he does. He's on the attack. So there is this war for freedom that's ongoing, been ongoing. And I want you to understand as we look at the battle plans of Satan, he does have a plan. Plans that he used as he battles uh, this world. You need to understand that Satan is the leader of this kingdom of evil. He's turned this world into a sin-infested and crazy world, and you need to understand the Bible says he is the ruler of this world. 1 John 5, 19, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. That's why he's called the prince of this world. He is the one that is ruling this world, and he so desires to wreck the lives of people. He so desires to ruin. And I think he uses three primary ways to do that. Now listen, this is not an exhaustive study on the strategies of Satan. I don't have time for that. But I'm going to give you three simple 
battle plans that he uses, been using since time, and still continues to use because they're effective. And the first battle plan is what I call the deceiver's plan. This is a battle plan that Satan used to attack people, to keep them lost in their sins, to destroy Christian testimonies. This is one of the plans he used, and he used it on Eve. We saw that. We know the Garden, the garden of Eden story. But look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians eleven thirteen. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion. And when you read about that, I want you to underline, Eve was deceived, and underline, mine was led astray. That is the deceiver's plan that God uses. And what does he do? His target in that deceiver's plan is to attack your mind, to get your mind off the things of God, to lead your mind astray to the carnal and sinful and worldly things. That's what he wants your mind to be thinking on and reflecting on, not the things of God. And that's not what Christ said in his word. Paul said it for us brilliantly in Philippians 4, 8. You might want to write that down. It says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Think. Let your mind dwell on the things that are true and noble and right and pure and lovely and on and on. Don't let your mind get deceived by Satan and always be reflecting and thinking on the things of this world and the sinful desires of this world. He wants to lead your mind astray. You need to understand that. Let your mind dwell on Philippians 4.8. That's a great verse for you to memorize and, and, and apply in your life. And his weapon is lies. He, he will twist anything he can to make you th- think and believe that the things of the world are so much better than they are. He is a liar. You say, that's pretty strong words, Shannon. Well, that's exactly the words Jesus used. You may want to jot this down to the side. John 8, John 8, 44. I'm going to read the last part of that. Words of Jesus. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar. And the father of lies. That's the one that we're battling against Satan. He's going to use this deceiver's plan to go after your mind, to lead your mind astray. He's going to twist all kinds of things with his lies that he has to lead you astray. Why? Because his purpose is to make you ignorant of God's word. That's what he's trying to do. And he's doing a real good job in America today. People are illiterate, ignorant, have no idea what this word is about. They don't read it anymore. And so Satan's going to do anything he can to keep you from spending time in God's word. He's going to make your schedule busier than it has ever been. He's going to bring distractions. He's going to do whatever he can to keep you from reading this word. You see, time in God's word is... Daily time in God's Word is a necessity. It it has to be a priority of your life. Spending time reading God's Word, knowing God's Word, 
understanding God's Word, applying God's Word, memorizing God's Word, meditating on God's Word. Those, that's, just where, that's where the truth comes from. That's where the power comes from. The Holy Spirit takes that Word, illuminates us, and inspires us, and, 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 and uses us to do great and mighty things. But we don't spend time because we fall and pray to the deceiver's plan. He's led you. He's led your mind astray, and he's left you ignorant of God's word. But that's not the only plan he has. Satan's, Satan's got three primary plans, and they're all effective. He also uses what I call the destroyer's plan, and he used this on Job. And we all know the story of Job, and Job is a hard book to understand. Basically, it comes down to a simple fact that, that Satan wanted to test Job. And he got permission from God to do that to do anything he can to see, to see and test his devotion to God. That's what it says in Job 2.6. The Lord said to Satan, very well, then he, Job, is in your hands. Imagine that. If God was to say that about you, Shannon, he's in the hands of Satan now. But you must spare his life. And so Satan... Satan went on the attack in this destroyer's plan. And with the permission of God, the Father, Satan delivered what I call the triple blow. He destroyed the fruit of Job, his children. All of his children died the same day in the same place. He destroyed the provisions for Job's body. All of his cattle, camels, herds, servants, all gone. And then he destroyed Job's physical body. The Bible says that Satan put sores on him from his feet to the top of his head. Whole body covered in sores. I don't care who you are and how strong you think you are. You lose your health and your wealth and your family. That's a triple blow. Hard to get up from. But Satan, Satan that's, that's how he is. He's a destroyer. He wants to do anything he can to destroy your testimony and keep those lost lost so what's the target he goes after the body now i'm not going to sit here and say all sickness is because of satan no, i'm not going to say that because sometimes it's just natural order we all get old and bodies begin to decay and that happens but i want you to understand that i think satan does attack parts of our body and listen to what i have here your body is not only the temple of the holy spirit and for those who are in christ the Bible says you are dwelt with the Holy Spirit of God. It's not only the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's also a tool used by the Holy Spirit. And what Satan wants to do, he wants to attack your body, especially your mouth, and keep it closed. He doesn't want you going out and talking about the good things of Christ. He doesn't want you driving down to Mullins and Dillons and tell, telling those children about the, the good news of Jesus Christ. He wants you to keep your mouth closed. He'll do what he can to attack you, put thoughts in your mind that I'm not good enough. I don't know what I'm talking about. That's how he works. And he attacks your, your body, and sometimes he brings suffering. And listen, there are, there are circumstances that people are going through sitting in this room right here that are very, very difficult. And when life gets tough, when the circumstances of life become so heavy, what happens? It makes you turn inward instead of being outwardly focused. You're thinking about all the problems that you have. And listen, it's been a tough year for me. I lost my dad in, in 
June of last year, and my mom's got some really health challenges right now that's requiring a lot of our time. And I, sometimes I just come home, and I'm just exhausted. And I, and I start whining. I don't know if you ever have any whining parties to yourself. I, sometimes I have them about how bad things are. And then I ran across a quote that Warren Wiersbe wrote, who's one of my all-time favorite Bible authors. And I, I had to write it on, on a postcard and put it on my computer because I need to see it every day. And here's what he said. He said, the purpose of the Christian life and service is to magnify God's glory no matter what the circumstances might be. That's where we got to be. We can't let Satan attack, attack us and get us inwardly focused. Listen, we got to glorify God regardless of the circumstances of our lives. So why, why does he do this? Why does he attack the body and cause suffering? He's trying to make you impatient of God's work. Impatience, hear me, always leads to costly mistakes. Let me say that one more time. Impatience always leads to costly mistakes. And I had to confess this yesterday. We're driving back from the beach. We've been on vacation. We've been down to Edisto. So you have to get on 95 to get to 26. So I got on Interstate 95 with everybody else in the United States. And on top of that, there was an accident. Shut I-95 North down. Road closed. Set there for two hours. Now you can imagine, I had all these things planned. When I get home, I gotta cut grass, I gotta get all, all these things. And, and time is just. So what, what do I do? Well, my wife can testify to this. I just start griping and complaining. I can't believe we get caught in this kind of traffic. I, I'm not coming back to the beach again. If we are, we're going to go to the back roads. I'm tired of this. Every time I get on 95, and I'm, just, I'm just hammering away. I'm so mad, and we're just sitting there hour after hour. So finally, my wife goes online and says, there was a road closed because there was a trailer truck that caught on fire, and there was fatalities. And then that changes everything. You know, somebody just like me, probably going on vacation or coming home. All of a sudden, their lives are lost. So, but I got impatient. And sometimes we do that. We, we get impatient of God, and we try to run ahead of God. We don't need God. We're smart enough. We're skilled enough. And what happens every time you run ahead of God, trouble's around the corner every time. So that's what Satan does. He, he, wants, to, he wants to destroy your Christian testimony. He wants to make you impatient of God. And the third one he has, I call it the director's plan. And he used this on David. And the verse there is... Um, 2 Corinthians 7, 1. Therefore, since we have these promises, dear friends, let us purify ourselves from everything that contaminates body and spirit, perfecting holiness out of the reverence of God. And as I think about that verse, and I'm sure you probably were thinking about it too, when it says don't contaminate your body, you're thinking about David and how he contaminated his body with Bathsheba. But that was not David's greatest sin. Not even close. You may want to write in your margin there, First Chronicles 21. And I'll have time to put all this uh, on notes on the slides for you. But let me just kind of read you a little bit about First Chronicles 21. And let me show you the sin of his 
ego that David had and what God did. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there or just listen. Chapter 21 of 1 Chronicles, verse 1, says, Satan rose up against Israel and incited David to take a census of Israel. I, I can see how that played. Satan coming to, 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 to David. How, how big is your kingdom? You, you seem like you're an important man. How, how big is your kingdom? And David's like, well, my kingdom is, can't hardly be counted. But I tell you what, I'm going to go ahead and count them. So I can have that number and tell you just how big my kingdom is. So you see this ego. So verse 2, so David said to Joab and the commanders of troops, go and count Israelites from Beersheba to Dan, then report back to me so that I may know how many there are. So David want, wanted to kind of blow up his ego, wanted to see how big his kingdom was, how big his armies were. But this is not what God wanted him to do. Verse 7 of, of uh, 1 Chronicles 21. The command, this command that David given was evil in the sight of God so he punished Israel. And you flip over to verse 14 and you read about the punishment. So the Lord sent a plague on Israel and 70,000 men of Israel fell dead because of this ego that David had. This ego. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to, to get in there with your ego and, affect, and impact the will that you have. See, if Satan can get you to act and think and live independently of God, then he has a good chance to influence and maybe even direct your life. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to get you to live and act and, li and, and talk and fellowship independently of God. That's what he wants you to do. And how does the weapon that he uses, the same one that he used with, with, with David here is pride. Pride. Someone once say, and it's true, pride, pride is the soil, the S-O-I-L, the soil from which all sins grow. And there's a lot of truth in that. That's why the Bible talks so much about being humble, over and over, being humble, being humble, being humble. Because pride, what pride does, pride robs the glory that so belongs to God and brings all the glory on me and on us. So he attacks and uses pride as a weapon. Why? To make us independent of God's will. He wants us to live our lives without God whatsoever. He wants you to feel like, man, I've arrived in life. Look how, look how successful I am in life. Look at all these things that I'm, I've been able to accomplish. He wants sometimes to use his spiritual pride to do the same thing, but he wants you to get, get you to the point where you are living your life without the plan of God. He wants to make you independent of God's will. So this war for freedom that's been going on for thousands and thousands of years involving Satan and God, Satan is continuing to attack, to wreck lives, to ruin lives, even though he knows his eternity is doomed. He knows that, but he still is on the attack and will be on the attack till the day Christ destroys him. But he's doing that. So this, this war for freedom, there's Satan with all of his battle plans. But I got good news. God also has battle plans. And God's battle plan 
It's not real hard to understand. I've done a lot of work to realize that God's battle plan for, for, for his kingdom and for, to fight evil is simply this, Jesus Christ. His battle plan can be summed up in two words, Jesus Christ. He is the battle plan. And as we think about this, you need to understand that one of the primary objectives of Jesus coming to this world was to destroy the devil's works. Yes, he came to, to reveal God to man. He came to, to, to be God in flesh. And he came to die on a cross and redeem man. He did all those things. But he also came to destroy the devil's works. Why do I know that? Because the Bible says so. In 1 John 3, 8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So this battle plan, this war for freedom has been going on. Satan with all of his sophisticated battle plans, God with one, two words, Jesus Christ. He was sent to this world, appeared to destroy the works of the devil. And so I want to give you four things, four, four reasons why Jesus Christ was able to destroy the works of the, of the devil. And he destroyed those works by first suffering on the cross as a Savior. 1 Peter 2, 4. He himself bore our sins in his body on a tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness and by his wounds you have been healed. Jesus Christ suffered the most horrific death probably ever recorded in history, died in just a horrific way. Why? Because of his love for you and his love for me. Think about that. Jesus Christ, God in flesh, who has always been, who will always be, who created everything, holds everything together, died on the cross so that you might be declared righteous and not guilty. For you. Christ died on the cross. And as I think about that suffering that he went through, the power to escape the suffering on the cross was available to Jesus. All he had to speak was one word or just one thought, and all that was gone. But you need to understand, but love held the Savior to the cross. He stayed on that cross, suffering horrifically. Why? Because he's a Savior that loves you far beyond your understanding. And when I just stop and think about that, how much God loves me, had the power to escape from the just horrific agony of that cross, but he didn't because his love from Shannon held him on that cross. So he destroyed the works of the devil by suffering on the cross as a savior. But he also destroyed the works of the devil by dying on the cross as a conqueror. And let's look at what the writer of Hebrews says. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things that through death, his death, he might destroy the one who has the power of death, and that is the devil. See, as as a follower of Jesus Christ, you don't need to fear death anymore. Christ took the sting out of that death. I, I do funerals all the time, and I tell people, death is not the end. In fact, it's just the beginning. 
See, it's a transition from this life to the next life, and that next life is beyond our comprehension in terms of how wonderful and how great it's going to be. But Christ died on the cross as a conqueror to defeat death. See, through Jesus' suffering and his death, he dealt the death blow to Satan and his followers. By his resurrection, he served notice that their doom is sure. See, Jesus Christ died on that cross not as some helpless person. He died as a savior. He died as a conqueror of the evil one. But not only did he destroy the works of the devil by dying on the cross, he also destroyed the works of the devil by rising from the dead as a victor. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is God's greatest triumph. He defeated death, he defeated sin, and he defeated Satan's power. Jesus Christ rose from the dead as a victor, as the champion of all time, who lives and reigns forever with the saints. Now, I don't know about you, but y'all, I'm not sure y'all are getting this. Do you realize Jesus Christ died for you? Took the death out of took the sting out of death. He is the champion of all time. He did all this, defeated Satan. Satan with all his sophisticated battle plans, Jesus Christ was all God needed, and he defeated Satan. But not only did he destroy the works of the devil by rising from the dead as a victor, he destroyed the works of the devil by ascending to heaven as a triumphant intercessor. And as I think about this, Man, I'm just blown away with this one verse found in Romans 8. Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and listen to this, who indeed is interceding for us. Stop and think for a second. I, y'all may not mess up in your life, I do. My wife can give you testimony on that. I mess up a lot in my life. And, and sometimes we get this mindset that whenever we say something we shouldn't say or do something we shouldn't do, whatever uh, sin we commit, God's up there with his great book marking an X or putting a big F by us. That's not the picture. Because see, there's God who is perfect and holy and there's me with all my sin and then in the middle is Jesus Christ. And he covers me with his blood. And I'm as righteous as I'll ever be. And, and not only that, he's interceding to God for me. Yep, I, I know Shannon's kind of dumb. You gotta, but you know what? There's so much there. I, there's so much potential. He, he's got a chance to really do something with his life for the kingdom of God. And, and, I, and I believe in him. And I'm interceding for him. And I, don't want you, I want you to understand, if you forget everything I've said, Understand that Jesus is always pleading our case before the Father like a defense lawyer on our behalf. And listen to this. His intercession for us is stronger than Satan's accusation against you. Think about that. No matter what Satan says about you, and it may be true, probably is true, the intercession 
of Jesus Christ is so much stronger than that accusation. And again, wow, this war for freedom is going on. Satan continues to fight a losing battle because the battle has been won with Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross for our sins. So the battle outcome is real simple. Because of the greatest sacrifice ever in battle, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, God in flesh, victory has been won over Satan's armies, Satan's armies of darkness. Which brings me to the verse I wrote, passage I really want to concentrate on, and I don't have much time, so I've got to go through this pretty quickly. Colossians 2, 13 through 15. Follow along as I read that. I'm not sure it's in your notes. Uh, and you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us and its, with his legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities have put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And as I stop and think about that passage, what an incredible passage it is, and a powerful passage. As we look at this war of freedom, Christ, Christ has done it all for us. And as I look at that first verse, it says, you, Shannon, you were dead. You were, you were dead in your trespasses, but God made you alive in Christ. He gave you life what I love about John 10 10 it says the thief comes to steal kill and destroy but I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly and I'm here to tell you I know what it means to have an abundant life God has blessed me far beyond what I deserve and I'm so thankful for what God has done he's given me a life he's given me a life to use for him to serve him this abundant life is, is available because of what Jesus did for you. You were dead in your trespasses, verse 13 says. You were dead, but Christ made you alive. But not only that, he made you free in Christ. All those debts that you had, the, the, the legal demands that you didn't meet, all that, gone. Jesus Christ took care of it. Free in Christ. Free, Why? to enjoy God. You are free. God has, has made you alive. He, he gave you life. He gives you an abundant life, but he also gives you this freedom that we have in Christ to, to be all that God wants us to be, to enjoy the goodness of God. But it doesn't stop there. In verse 15, it says he disarmed the rulers, triumphing over them. He makes us victorious in Christ. And as I thought about that last point, I kept thinking in my mind over and over Victory in Jesus. Victory in Jesus. I have victory in Jesus. And I couldn't help think about that great hymn. I heard an old, old story. How a Savior came from glory. How he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sin and won the victory. Oh, victory in Jesus. My Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is due him. 
He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing flood. I know some of you, my age or older, you're sitting there singing that song in your head as I read those words. There's victory in Jesus. There's this battle that's been going on for the war of freedom. And Jesus Christ has won that war. Kind of summing up, I love what Charles Stanley said. It's a long quote, but I have it there in your notes. Here's what Charles Stanley said. Jesus came into this world as a man to die upon the cross to bear the penalty of our sin. All of our sinfulness was placed on him. God in his mercy accepts the atoning death of his son as payment for our sins, past, present, and future. We are justified, proclaimed not guilty in the eyes of God because Jesus died in our place. Therefore, we are free from sin's power, and we are free to be all that God has planned us to be. The war for freedom is over. Jesus Christ wins. And because of that freedom that we have in Christ, I love what Paul says in Romans, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. I come to you today telling you, you are free. You are free. God has made you alive to give you this incredible, abundant life and the, and the reward of eternity with him in heaven. You are free. You are free to go and do what you want to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. And there is victory. The victory is in Christ. The victory for the war of freedom is Jesus Christ. You know, when you celebrate the July 4th on Tuesday, and I know many of you will, and you'll celebrate with your cookouts, you'll celebrate with maybe some, a picnic or uh, parties or fireworks and all those things are great. And listen, I'm all for celebrating the freedom that we have in this great country. Yeah, I'm patriotic. So I got a red, white, and blue shirt on. I'm patriotic. And I'm all for celebrating the freedom that we have in this great country. But, but more importantly, I want you especially on the 4th, but really every day of your life, to, to remember and celebrate the freedom that you have. The freedom that you have because of the war that Jesus Christ won for you. The war for freedom is over. and Jesus Christ was victorious. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness, thank you for all that you've done for us. Lord, thank you for the freedom that we have in you. Lord, thank you that no matter how hard Satan comes after me, he is no match for Jesus Christ. We just praise you today for that. We praise you, Father, because we have victory in you. In Christ's name I pray.